1: Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. Let's now look at the text, John chapter 8. I'm going to start reading at verse 31. I'm going to read through verse 59. And let's remember as we hear this, this is God's word. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Some years ago, just a handful of years ago now, NBC developed a sitcom that became, for a moment, a cultural phenomenon. The show was called The Good Place. The series focuses on a character named Eleanor Shellstrop a deceased young woman who wakes up in the afterlife and is welcomed by someone named Michael to the good place in reward for her righteous life, for the right amount of good things that were done in life. In the context of the show, she's told that she had gotten enough good points to be brought into the good place. If you don't get enough good points, you go into the bad place. As the series develops... Both Michael and Eleanor decide that this point system for assigning humans to the good place or the bad place is fundamentally flawed. In the real world, assigning certain actions as categorically good or bad is practically impossible because of all the unintended consequences that come from all of that. One of the things that you will learn if you watch the show is it is wise not to develop your theology off an NBC sitcom for a whole host of different reasons, but both because of the point system and because... As the show reaches its conclusion and they go into the good place, they find it boring after a period of time. And I remember watching and thinking, there is just no conception here of God and of how eternally good it will be just to be in his presence. Any kind of assumption that you know, you're know you in this place of enlightenment, but eventually you're going to get bored and should reach full self-actualization, at which point you enter non-being as the sort of great, glorious end of all things is just... It's missing something, but it's because there's no God. The other reality is that they focus on this place that they call the medium place for especially one person who's neither good or bad, and it's in between that which is good and in between that which is bad, and that, I think, gets at some of the things that we are tempted to believe, that everyone is just okay. That there are certain bad people, you know, those people who go too slow in the left lane, but that everyone else is mostly good, mostly okay, and I'm okay, and you're okay, and everyone's just sort of okay, and we're all kind of in the medium place. No God, and therefore just a great deal of neutrality. Jesus here in John chapter 8 kind of exposes the lie of all of this. He's clear about who he is and the reality of sin, about the reality of the devil, about the fact that there's no neutral ground. You either follow God or you make your way to the abyss. There is no lukewarm place in the middle. Either God is your father or the devil is. And here in John chapter 8, Jesus with the most clarity at any point in the gospel of John demonstrates who he is so that we might believe in him and become children of God not be a child of the devil but to know real freedom that comes from following him giving your whole self to him. There are four different movements that take place in the second half of John chapter 8, and I'm going to talk about each of them. They start, it starts with this uh, fickle faith and then talks about how sin is slavery. Then Jesus will, will go on to talk about how there's no neutrality, and, and the end of the passage is about Christ's character, who he is. And so we're going to walk through this passage in this way together. Let's start with this fickle faith. So one of the most striking verses in here at first is the first verse that we read, John 8, verse 31, or at least maybe the most confusing. Jesus is talking to the Jews who had believed in him. In John chapter 8 verse 30, we're told that there were many who believed in Jesus. And yet it doesn't really make sense that Jesus would turn and say the things that he just said, that we just heard, that I just read for you. It doesn't make sense really that he would say those things to believers because he's called them children of the devil. He's talked about how they do not love him or know him. How does that work? if these are the Jews who have believed in Jesus, well, John throughout the gospel has shown that there is a fickle faith that exists in so many people. This is right away the beginning of John. In John chapter two, verse 23, we're told that the crowd, that many in the crowd believe in him, but Jesus doesn't give himself over to the crowd because he knows their hearts. He recognizes how fickle the crowd is. And then in John chapter 6, maybe the most clearly, Jesus has performed miracles and thousands of people have gathered around him, clamoring to be his disciples, asking him for more of his miracles. And yet, when Jesus gives this hard teaching, saying, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and that is a hard teaching. When he gives that hard teaching, all of them go, except for the 12. Because the faith that they seemed to demonstrate was baseless and shallow. Shallow. And in the moment, there becomes some difficulty, it all goes away. And here in John chapter 8, we're told that a number of people believe in him, and yet Jesus says one thing that they find difficult, and they oppose him again. And they're in conflict and in debate with him again. Let me just start by pleading with you about this. You and I are not really that different from the crowd, the people of Israel that were debating with the Lord Jesus. We're so quick to trust in Jesus and then fall into disbelief. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We need the Lord God to take our heart and seal it. And part of why we need that is because we are so fickle in our faith also. You know, if it were dependent on us to hold on to Jesus effectively, we would all be in trouble But here's some good news for you today. You are sustained in faith, not because of your ability to hold on to God, not because of your goodness, but because of his goodness and the fact that he is holding on to you. And all of us who are here should desperately want for Jesus to hold on to us because the distinction between Jesus and the world is a chasm that is remarkably broad. Not the difference between good and better. Not even the difference between neutral and good. But between God and the devil, the difference between heaven and hell, light and darkness, everlasting life and enduring destruction, between freedom and slavery. And this passage talks about and shows us how genuine faith perseveres. It holds tight to the teaching of Jesus. It's glorious and beautiful. But it is not easy because it costs you everything. And so count the cost and follow Jesus. But notice that if you don't follow him, sin is, again, it's not just this thing that is, all right, I shouldn't do that. It is slavery. For Jesus, as he goes on and talks about how he will set you free, the people are upset because they feel as though they are already free, but Jesus clarifies what he means. He's talking about how he will free you from the bondage of sin. For Jesus, ultimate bondage is not being a slave to a political system, it's not being trapped in certain exploitation or the certain economic systems, but true slavery is slavery to moral failure. It's slavery to rebellion against God. It's actually slavery to the self. It's the kind of thing that where we we become enslaved to the parts of ourselves that we probably, if we were being totally honest, like least. And yet, sin is being enslaved to those things. And finding that we actually don't like that or want that. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that the things that he wants to do, he is unable to do. But the things that he does not want to do, he finds himself doing. And so he cries out, who will save me from this body of death? Because sin enslaves us and oftentimes enslaves us to ourselves. One of the things you'll find is that as you, as you sort of continue in slavery and go deeper and deeper with it, that it leads not only to conflict with other people, but actually it leads to a dislike of yourself because you realize, man, I am enslaved to my own passions.
0: You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering 7 Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's com.
1: And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe. Focusing on the Gospel of John, we pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a television program about an American football coach that ends up going to England to coach a uh, British soccer team, a British football team. And in uh, one of the seasons, there's a character that sort of descends into darkness and betrayal. Somebody that had been treated so kindly, but as this character moves towards betrayal, he dislikes himself less and less. And something interesting happens as he looks at himself in the mirror, he spits at himself because he can't abide the sight of himself. He's become so captivated by the darkness that's eating away at himself that he does not like himself. And sin always brings disruption and hatred and division. And it will break up communities of people and families. And you will find that you are upset with other people. But oftentimes it's a reflection of the fact that you feel that you are enslaved to something and you can't get out of it. Because sin is slavery and you're enslaved to the parts of yourself that you don't like. And you swear that if other people simply created the proper context around you, that you'd be free, that you'd act well. That your habits would change, that you'd exercise enough, that you'd sleep enough, that you would eat right, you'd no longer waste time, you'd be more focused on others, you'd lead well, you'd do your work excellently, but the problem is not first and foremost your circumstances or other people. Though I agree with you, sometimes other people can be a problem. I'm not saying that everyone's great except for you. I'm saying that the most fundamental issue is yourself and your own sin. And more than needing other people to change their life and redirect it around you so that you can operate appropriately, you need to come to Jesus and be set free. And be set free from yourself, from your own ways of operating, from being enslaved to your own passions, from being a slave to yourself. And Jesus sets us free. And it's at the cost of your life. Take my life. And let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my will and make it thine. It will be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thy own. It shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy royal throne. Honestly, this is the last thing that in our own strength we'd like to do. To give up our own autonomy. To give up the ability to be captain of our own soul. To give up our own will and to give ourselves entirely to Jesus. Nothing is more difficult than that. It's to say, "All right, I'm not going to be the captain of my own life or soul anymore. I give it entirely over to you, Lord. You direct my life. I am going to follow you in obedience. There's very little that's more difficult than that in the entire world. In fact, nothing more difficult than that in the entire world. Because it's a dead person becoming alive. And this is what's so difficult for the crowd. They've come to Jesus and, and verse 30 says that they've believed in him. But it seems like they've given intellectual agreement with an aspect of his teaching. Because as soon as he talks to them about real freedom, they start opposing him immediately. They're unwilling to admit that they are enslaved to sin, that they're enslaved to self. And so they put forward their own historical credentials. No, Jesus, you've got this backwards. We are children of Abraham. You've got to pay attention. And even, Jesus, if we've been under the thumb of different empires, you've got to understand, each one of those empires has crumbled to dust. And the people of Abraham have continued. We're going to do the same with the Romans. Jesus, you don't, you don't get it. We are descendants of kings and queens, of people who stood up to empires and are still standing. Our father, Abraham, was promised this land. Our father, David, he led this land. Even when we were in captivity, our, our, our parents before us stood up to those Medes and Persians. Our mother, Esther, looked down the whole empire. You're the one that has the issue, not us. We're descendants of kings and queens. We're free on the inside, Jesus. In fact, your, your birth is the one that we're not so sure about, Jesus, is what they say. You're the one with the dubious birth certificate. And in verse 19, they say, who even is your father? And in verse 41, they say, we weren't born of sexual immorality. And in verse 48, they say, you're probably actually a demon-possessed Samaritan. Of all of the crescendoing, you know, mocking that they offer to Jesus, they sort of finish with, yeah, you're, and you're probably a Samaritan. Doesn't strike us the way that it probably would have struck the crowd. You Samaritan. But here's what they're getting at. We know that Jesus was conceived uh, miraculously. That Mary, the virgin, conceived and, and gave birth to Jesus. And that Joseph didn't marry his wife, Mary, until after she was with child. And so this is reflecting that there is gossip that is still floating through the community. Oh, Jesus, we weren't born of sexual immorality, but I know someone who was. We're descendants of Abraham, but you're probably a Samaritan. Yeah, who even is your father, Jesus? There's an incredible mocking tone on behalf of the crowd directed towards the Lord Jesus here. Yeah, who is, even is your father? But John loves, uh, loves you know, sort of multiple meanings in all of this. John loves when there are sort of two or three meanings to a word. And so what Jesus says is, yeah, you actually don't know who my father is. Because my father is God, and that's the whole problem. Like, I'm trying to introduce you to him. Your father is the devil. My father is God. And you actually don't know who my dad is. And that's the whole fundamental issue. If God were your father, you would know me and you would listen to me. If Abraham were really your spiritual father, you would actually rejoice to see me. Because, you know, like the whole driving force of his life was being able to see my day. When I, the promised one, would be here... He rejoices to see me here, but you don't. You're not spiritual children of Abraham, even though you might be natural ones. You're not children of God. Your father, Jesus says to the crowd, your father is the devil. And here's where he moves to talking about how there's no neutrality. And Jesus speaks some of the most confrontational uh, words that he's going to speak in the gospel of John as he talks to the crowd in this sort of way. You, you who claimed to believe in me, you are children of the devil. And there are two characteristics of the devil that he mentions here. First, the devil is a liar. And second, the devil is a murderer. First, the devil is a liar. And second, the devil is a murderer. And there are a few things that we need to talk about here. First, the devil is a liar. And so, part of the allure of sin part of why it is attractive to take a stand against Jesus or the ways of God is that the devil is lying and we are deceived. Jesus already exposed the nature of sin. It's going to enslave you and kill you. And we hear that from Jesus and we're like, yeah, But maybe it'll work for me, actually, Jesus. Maybe that's the case for almost everybody else. But I've got an especially strong will. So I'm going to be able to stand. I can dabble in it. Nobody else can dabble in it. Most other people, they'll get enslaved. I agree most people will be enslaved. I won't be, though. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie from the devil because he is the father of lies. Sin looks good. Rebellion can look good because the devil is lying. And so let me plead again. Don't buy it. I mean, I understand how, I understand the, how sin, it's because, this, because the devil parades can parade as an angel of light. I understand how deceiving sin can be. It will kill you. There's no fooling around the edges with it. It will enslave and kill you. So kill it. Here's the other thing. When you, if you and I lie, we're speaking the native language of the devil. If or when you and I lie, we are speaking the devil's native tongue. And oftentimes, lying is one of those aspects of our arsenal that we can fall into because it can make things so much easier. I was talking to one of my friends. She had to turn in, uh, she thought, one map in her Bible class in college. And it turns out that the teacher, the professor, had assigned two maps and so she went to class with her one finished map. She handed it in and the professor said, where is the other one? And she thought, oh, I know how to do this. I will lie. And so she said, oh, the other one I just left in my, uh, left in my dorm room, but I'll bring it to you right after class. Uh, and the professor was like, are you telling me the truth? And she was like, yes, yes. No, I lied. She said right away, she realized I was lying. And, and it was this like, I felt like this small thing. But the reality is when confronted with I was speaking the language of the devil. I was speaking the language of the devil. I didn't want to do that anymore. And lies can sometimes be used for a whole host of different ways to save you from social embarrassment or to give you a little bit of space or time to finish some homework. Or they can be extremely serious. So your parents don't know where you've been. So that you really believe it when you lie to yourself and you say this time's actually going to be different and I'm not going to do this anymore. Lies can be used to make it seem like we are better than we are, that we don't need redemption, that we don't need saving. And lies are the language of the devil. And it just, it just, we just need to own that from John 8 today. Here's the other. The devil is a murderer. The devil's a murderer. And if you have a murderous heart... If you hope for the harm of your enemies or, and it should be said, maybe even, maybe there are even people that you know who have harmed you so much that you hope that they would die. That's not from God. That's not from God. The devil is a murderer from the beginning and death and and hatred come from the devil. Jesus intensifies the commandments of God and in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, anyone You've heard it said, you shall not kill. I tell you, anyone who has hated his neighbor in his heart has broken that commandment. Jesus tells us that, that hating another person is, is committing murder against that person in our heart. And this is not the way of Jesus. This is the way of the devil. The way of Jesus is praying for your enemies. It's blessing those who persecute you.
0: This is Pastor Derek Bukema,
1: and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you.